the Accounting Matters Podcast lives up to its name. Every other week, we bring you a new episode where we cover vital accounting topics that actually matter to accounting professionals. Each episode, we introduce a new topic and then highlight and discuss the key areas. We're your hosts, Adam Olson and Zach Smith, and we hope you stick around for all things accounting from A to Z. Coming to you from the heart of Texas, this is Accounting Matters, the go-to podcast for accounting and finance professionals from your friends, Adam Bark. Thanks for joining us, y'all. I'm Nicole Harger, Embark's National Quality Managing Director. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Olson, Embark's Accounting Advisory Practice Leader. Adam, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, just recovering, yeah. I would say, after a long uh, three days that we just spent in our nation's capital yep. uh, at the annual AICPA and SEMA conference covering current developments of the SEC and PCAOB. Uh, I'm sure you can agree a lot of good information, uh, a lot of lively discussions that were had there, and you know, excited that we get to unpack some of that today. Yeah, so that's that's our plan today to just kind of recap the conference. Um, and actually, you and I were sitting in the conference listening to all the panel discussions, but yep. we, um, our fellow embarkers that were out working the booth actually were able to meet some of our podcast listeners. That's very exciting. It is. Disappointing we didn't get to meet you guys, but okay, so let's jump right in. Sure. So, you know, I think the conference kicked off day one. We had the SEC's chief accountant, Paul Munter, really kind of setting the tone for, um, I would say for the for the next three days, really kind of the overarching themes of um, that we heard throughout a lot of different panels there. And so he, he really, and he tends to do this with a lot of his speeches, is just reiterated the profession's commitment, so the accounting professions, to public interest and how risk assessment really is the bedrock um, of financial reporting. Everything from start to finish really hinges on understanding and managing risks of an, uh, a reporting entity. Yep. So, you know, risk assessment is crucial, no doubt. So what were some of the key areas discussed by the office of the chief accountant? Yeah. So with Paul's kind of panel discussion, we also had members of OCA there. And so they really kind of covered three main buckets in their overview to the audience when they presented. So they really harped on high quality accounting standards, uh, the application of those high quality accounting standards, and then you know, obviously the need for uh, quality independent audits. Um, really, as part of that discussion, Munter also kind of highlighted some of the initiatives by the FASB, who was also in attendance. Um, you know, and he, he brought up things like the recently issued improvements to segment reporting that just came out, you know, not, not too long before the conference actually started. The improvements to income tax disclosures that we, we've covered on some of our uh, sister podcasts um, yeah. earlier in this year. And really, like, if you think about just those two standards in, in isolation, the goal behind each of those standards was just to provide, you know, it's, it's more transparency, right? So um, just understanding that what investors need today, you know, is different when the, than what they maybe needed 10 years ago. And we have to keep up with the evolving needs of our investors. Yep. Or more, uh, or more. Uh, Especially in a rapidly changing environment. I think, you know, the other word that would kind of go along with that is clarity, which you saw all over. Yeah, I think that was maybe the, the theme. theme of the conference. So, um, and, and transparency was really the theme from last year's conference. So I know we also heard at length some discussions on fair value measurement, particularly in the context of crypto assets. Yep, yep, they did. And so OCA did spend a bit of time talking about fair value measurements. So, you know, counting guidance in ASC 820, 
um, really just reiterating you know its significance and especially since there is an ASU on crypto assets that's expected to be issued shortly here this month right um, and so you know one thing that they kind of alluded to and, and crypto was a big topic of last year's conference right I think there were several sessions or at least conversations around it um, and so it's not really a surprise that it continues to be an, an ongoing conversation. And I think what they really tried to highlight when they were, were speaking to crypto this year is that when you think about the context of fair value measurements, the real challenge exists in like, how do you identify that the principal market for like the rapidly evolving crypto asset yep. market? The crypto landscape is indeed dynamic. And I know we will follow that closely as the new ASU comes to finalization Sounds like this month. I know that's kind of always been projected yep. um, at the conference. They didn't allude to anything different. So we will uh, wait for that to come. But moving on. So there are a lot of audit firms that attend the conference. And so um, therefore, there was a lot of chatter around those firms. Specifically, Mr. Munter and his team emphasized the importance of an audit firm's culture. Um, and he was very quick to note that a strong culture um, does ensure that the audit engagement team does maintain professional skepticism, which is a critical element in high quality audits. Yeah, and just adding on to that, so Anita Doubt also highlighted that the role of audit firm leadership really is to promote that professional skepticism. Yep. So, a lot of onus on audit firms. Obviously, Embark is not an audit firm, but you know, considering it is a PCAOB as well focused conference, there is a lot of discussion around. Uh, the performance in it of audit firms. And again, she just helped reiterate the importance of direct communication between a company's audit committee and their auditor and making sure that there's a, a strong culture of trust and accountability between those groups. Yep. And so risk assessment wasn't just a one-time topic. I think we heard about it almost every day um, throughout the conference. Mr. Munter highlighted its continuous importance in a rapidly evolving environment. So factors like interest rates, supply chain disruptions, and mm -hmm. geopolitical issues need constant evaluation for accurate, complete, and high-quality financial reporting. Yeah, and I think he, he kind of went back to his analogy that he always uses, mm -hmm. or at least I've heard it, I don't know, the last several years. Um, it, and I think it's a good one here. It's really about, like, accountants are if you think about it in the communications business, right? Because we are preparing financial statements that are used by users of financial, of those financial statements. Um, and so it's our responsibility to make sure we're communicating to those stakeholders, like yep. the information that's important that they need to know. And, and this really kind of led to him talking about like disclosures again, they're not just, you know, check the box, you know, compliance type exercise, but really, Companies need to be thinking about transparent communication and those disclosures, providing contacts around like risks or uncertainties that a, a company may face, and just making sure that they're they're being kind of robust and in, in giving information that investors are needing. Yep, clarity, right? Yes, clarity again. <laughs> um, you know, communication is indeed key. Did they touch on any specific challenges or developments in government and oversight? Yeah, they did. So they, they talked about challenges kind of on, you know, a lot of different levels, like both globally, nationally, and even at the local levels, um, talking about putting financial reporting and internal controls to the test. Um, you know, one thing that, that did come up, I think there was a session kind of talking about, you know, audit committees themselves is like, how can audit committees really you know there's so many things that they have to kind of keep up with and deal with 
um, and how can they really effectively navigate just all these different challenges in an evolving landscape of corporate responsibility and, and governance and and really fulfill their role as you know members of that audit committee. Yep. And so, of course, the hot topic of ESG reporting came up with new and anticipated regulatory mandates. Companies are gearing up for increased disclosure requirements. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not just about compliance, but it's about demonstrating a also a commitment to sustainability. Yeah, and so I think a lot of people there were hoping, like I think same as last year, that uh, the SEC's final climate rule uh, would be released, but I think we were left with more anticipation. Yeah, <laughs> than yeah they didn't else. really talk about timeline at all. And I was kind of joking to, I forget who was sitting next to me, like, is there a Reddit thread, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, somebody's got to yeah, know when it's coming. There was a little discussion, just not necessarily like a discrete timeline, but more, more along the lines of like, it's not a matter of if it's coming, but right. like when. So I right. think there's the, at least the consensus that something is coming um, but I will say like and I think a lot of you know other people that have been followed follow this pretty closely um, you know myself included like as the conference concluded there was actually an update to the regulatory agenda of the SEC uh, the rulemaking regulatory agenda and so in that re-release of kind of their priorities they actually did update the expected timing of the release of the climate rule so now it has been pushed to April of 2024 so I think in their minds, we're already at the end of the year right here, right? A lot of registrants are trying to now just get through year-end reporting and filings and audits and things like that. So I think as that next kind of wave of, you know, responsibilities for accounting and finance and teams um, gets, you know, complete, then we might see a roll. Um, so that really puts us basically at like the two-year mark since the original proposal came out. So. Uh, you know, time will tell, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but moving on from that, I guess we also heard from the SEC's Division of Corporate Finance or Corp Fin. Um, and again, they shared their insights into their priorities, disclosure trends they're seeing and expectations. I do think it's, you know, interesting that they, they discuss the anticipated response to additional measures of segment profit and loss. So, you know, that new ASU that just came out. Yeah. Um, and so there was a lot of discussion just around, I think even that the transparency that that new ASU brought out, so ASU 2023-07 that uh, the FASB put forth. Yeah, segment reporting is always a complex area. Can you shed some light on any recurring issues or common themes from SEC comment letters? I know they touched on that during the, during yeah, the conference. Yeah, so CorpFin always kind of does a SEC comment letter trends, kind of what they're seeing. And so I will say that MDNA was kind of the... <laughs> hot topic top. as far as yep. like kind of top you know issue or whatever that was taking center stage for where regulatory comments um, kind of arose so Kevin Woody who's the SEC's accounting uh, branch chief he emphasized the importance of critical accounting estimates as well um, and disclosures around them and how it merely shouldn't just be a repeat of significant accounting policy disclosures so really trying to make sure that you know you're, you're doing more than just kind of like boilerplate kind of generic type stuff you're you're providing robust informative meaningful, meaningful um disclosures to to your the users and investors of you know that want to use those financial statements yep okay so we can't um leave out non-gap financial measures so corpfin staff did highlight persistent errors um, urging companies to properly identify recurring expenses and avoid misleading 
presentations. Yes, and we've done a podcast on non-GAAP measures, so uh, definitely check that one out for uh, <laughs> just more information on kind of common issues and things where, that arise with as it relates to non-GAAP measures. Yeah, I would just say a couple other areas that Court Friend highlighted. You know, so they talked about just challenges around inventory disclosures, and they also talked about just the need for meaningful market rate exposure risk disclosures. And, and again, here, just kind of going back to that boilerplate, it's just make sure that you're providing more context and it's not just kind of generic, you know, run of the mill, you know, applies to everyone. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, let's put some meat behind some of this stuff so people can truly understand. understand. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, and that was a theme we also heard at the conference from prior year as well. And I wanted to pivot to the FASB update we heard at the conference next. Um, as we talked about earlier, one of the key moments from the conference happened on Monday when Mr. Muncher emphasized the importance of achievable standard setting for all stakeholders. Yes, and then mm -hmm. on Tuesday is when we actually heard from the FASB um, in their presentation. So FASB Chair Richard Jones, he, he kind of took the stage and stressed the significance of feedback from their recent agenda consultation. Um, he had done the same thing, you know, at last year's conference. So just, um, you know, kind of a formulaic way of how they, they give an overview of what they're up to. But he also highlighted the need for accounting standards, again, to be useful and relevant to investors, um, but also operable for preparers, right? It can't be so burdensome that, you know, preparers are not able to actually operationally, you know, embed those standards into their their day to day. And then also just clear for auditors. So auditors understand kind of like what they should be evaluating um, when they're going through the audit. Yep. Um, so Mr. Jones specifically mentioned a recurring theme from investors disaggregation. Mm -hmm. So it seems to be that the FASB is responding to this call. Um, and when and once they conclude their ongoing projects, we can expect more narrowly scoped projects. Mr. Jones did hint at another agenda consultation in 2024. Yeah, and so just maybe going back to the topic of disaggregation, we also heard from FASB technical director, uh, Hillary Sallow, who's actually going to be a new FASB board member uh, next year. Uh, and she did highlight kind of three projects that were designed to provide more detailed information for investors. So really just kind of showing what the FASB has been doing to increase transparency because they've set out this mission that they're going to provide transparency and disaggregation. Um, and so she highlighted some of those those projects that they've been taking on. Yep. And so the first project re was the recently issued ASU 2023-07 that we previously mentioned a little bit, um, which focuses on improvements to segment reporting. Mm -hmm. It does require public entities to disclose significant expense categories in each reportable segment offering investors a little bit more of a detailed look into the company's financial landscape. Yeah, I guess I would also add to that is that, you know, they talked about that ASU's effective date is actually just right around the corner. So fiscal year is beginning after December 15th, 2023. Yep. So, um, like so now. <laughs> basically now, right? So most registrants uh, need to be prepared. But, you know, they did highlight that, you know, registrants that are single reportable segment entities um, may face challenges when they're trying to comply with ASC 280 for the first time. And so that's just something that um, those preparers need to be aware of. Yep. And so another specific project in the works involves the disclosure of a company's global tax obligations. 
the FASB issued an exposure draft back in March of this year. Um, and they do aim to finalize the standard by the end of this month. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really could provide investors with a detailed view of a company's tax related activities through enhanced disclosures. Yeah. And kind of similarly to the segments, you know, the proposed amendments would require uh, public business entities to disaggregate specific expense categories within the income statement. Um, and the FASB is actively considering comments received and will continue, you know, discussions at a public roundtable meeting that's also set for uh, later in December. So shifting gears back to our very fascinating area of crypto assets, mm-hmm. The FASB Deputy Technical Director highlighted the proposed ASU that we briefly touched on on, on crypto assets. You know, and as we mentioned, this project is expected to wrap up by the end of this month. Yeah, and just from the FASB's point of view, they you know just explained a little bit around the ASUs, where yep. the SEC kind of just talked about some of the standard setting that was in place. Um, but that final ASU will require companies holding crypto assets, you know, like Bitcoin, et cetera, uh, to measure them at fair value. Um, and with those changes recorded to the income statement. Um, and the scope of the project is limited to specific criteria. So certain types of crypto assets like non-fungible tokens that you know, they highlighted uh, would be excluded from the scope or anything else that maybe you know, meets the definition of a financial asset would be subject to other gap. Yep. And so it seems the accounting profession is evolving in response to emerging trends. The Emerging Issues Task Force's role is changing, Mm -hmm. discontinuing its historical role as a standard setter. Instead, it will focus on advising the board on issues to consider adding to the FASB's agenda. Yeah, it's uh, interesting that they decided to kind of repurpose the the mission of the EITF. Um, So be curious to kind of see how that works going forward. But uh, switching gears, you know, one thing they do every year at the conference is kind of talking about consultation trends. Um, specifically, you know, what are the large kind of global accounting firms hearing or seeing like what issues tend to keep coming up, um, you know, where they're, they're having clients needing to consult with their national offices. So maybe just do kind of a little unpacking of some of the top trends that they, they highlighted. So the first one that they talked about was paying vendors with equity. So instead of using cash, just seeing kind of equity instruments being used more commonly, um, that was kind of their first trend that they walk through. Yeah, and so specifically there, um, Angela Ferguson from PwC noted really two reasons behind this trend. The first is companies wanting to conserve cash Mm -hmm. um, and vendors looking to make strategic investments. So it is a dynamic shift with implications for both customers and vendors. Yeah, and then trend two that they highlighted centered around business combinations, which I think that one, you know, probably comes up every year, so, <laughs> uh, you know, and they did obviously note, and it's probably to no one's surprise, deal volumes are down, right? We've all talked yep. about that on, on other, you know, podcasts at accounting matters and, and things of the nature, but, you know, deal volumes are down. We're down in late 2022 and throughout 2023. Um, but they did also highlight that a lot of the, the structures for those deals are becoming more complex and that is becoming more and more common, those complex structures, which then, inevitably leads to more Mm -hmm. accounting challenges and just considerations that um, preparers have to think through. So they spent a little bit of time kind of talking through creative contingent consideration arrangements that they're seeing more and more, Um, you know, talking about impacts of certain VIE guidance that people may overlook that they they potentially need to consider um, to make sure that they're actually understanding who's acquiring who. 
Um, so just a number of different issues around business combinations. So um, another hot topic, I guess. Yep. So trend three, royalty monetization is gaining traction as a mechanism for generating cash, especially with intellectual property. The panel delved into the accounting complexities associated with monetizing future royalties as well. Yeah, and then the fourth trend they they hit on, uh, and we're only doing five, just in case it was like, <laughs> how many more are we doing here? Uh, it's it, it centered in on embedded leases, which I know we've talked about on this podcast as well. Um, you know, particularly in service contracts that involve specific assets, just the need and reminders to uh, to assess for any potential leases. And so they obviously walk through just what is the definition of a lease? What kind of factors do you need to consider when evaluating whether or not a lease exists? Um, but again, that's just something that they're, they're seeing come up more and more and specifically in service type contracts. And lastly, trend five, virtual power purchase agreements or VPPAs, which was a popular transaction in 2023 and one that is expected to continue to grow as the increased focus on sustainability becomes one of the top issues for many companies. These arrangements do allow purchasers to meet clean energy goals without altering their power structure. Yeah, and we, I know we've talked briefly about VPPAs in our episode on carbon credits, so definitely check that out as well. <laughs> Speaking of clean energy and sustainability goals, uh, there was a session talking about ESG. Even though we didn't have a final rule, they still had a, uh, a panel discussion around the future of ESG reporting. Um, you know, I, I, like I said at the beginning of the conference, former SEC commissioner, Elad Rosman highlighted that the SEC's climate rule is inevitable. It's just kind of a, a, a matter of when it's going to happen. So uh, April next year, in case you missed that earlier. <laughs> uh, but then on day three, we did have our ESG panels. So Wendy Stevens from Mazars uh, moderated a panel just kind of talking about the current state and what companies are thinking about and, and even uh, assurance providers are thinking about as you know we're starting to see kind of the walls closing in on the the mandated regulatory reporting. Yeah, and so as part of that discussion, um, you know, the panel did talk about the dominance of the the California laws as well as international requirements, and I guess specifically as it relates to the new two bills, the Climate Corporate Data Accountability Act and the Climate Related Financial Risk Act. Um, those were highlighted. You know, they provide an overview of those those two new um, rules, mm -hmm. and then also the impact on disclosure requirements as well as financial risk reporting. Yeah, it was interesting that they, on the California bills, like, you know, they said those weren't necessarily investor driven, like the SEC's climate bill is clearly the, the genesis for why the SEC wants to put that forth is because investors, investors want to use want that it. information. Yep. But they also did highlight, even though the California bills were not designed to address investor needs, it's obviously a it's a point of view that the state of California has for uh, sustainability um, and accountability. But, you know, it'll be inevitable that investors will still use that information, right, because it'll be available to them. Right. So yep. uh, it was just an interesting kind of anecdote that they added there. But then I would say they also kind of then talked about the other major uh, climate reporting bills that are in play. So there was a lot of discussion around uh, the CSRD uh, in the EU and then obviously the ISSB standards uh, coming into focus and just talking about we're starting to see more globally adoption of the ISSB in some form or fashion. Um, and then obviously companies that are subject to CSRD really trying to start evaluating 
scoping, impact, and materiality exercises just to start getting ready because the, the time horizon for those isn't that far off. Yep, and so speaking of ESG, the lack of convergence between the different standards was laminated during the conference. There is a need for companies to navigate this complex environment considering regulations like CSRD and ISSB standards. Yeah, and then I'll say the the panelists also emphasize, you know, just the importance of decision useful sustainability information. So Sandra Peters from the CFA Institute highlighted characteristics that would actually make such information more valuable. Uh, forward-looking, consistently reported, needs to be connected to uh, financial impacts, and then probably what all auditors love to hear is information that's subject to well-designed controls and processes, <laughs> uh, just to ensure you know the the completeness, the accuracy, and the relevance and reliability of that information. Yep. And so finally, the podcast wouldn't be complete without a glimpse into our future the future. Um, the last one of the last panels of the conference did explore the potential impact of Gen AI on financial reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, the consensus was that stakeholders are well positioned to leverage Gen AI for increased productivity, data accessibility, anomaly detection, and real-time insights. Yeah, it's always interesting to see how technology is really starting to shape the accounting profession and uh, obviously had a lot of uh, thought leaders there speak into that. And I think, you know, as Gen AI becomes more prevalent, you know, it's definitely going to raise the floor for accountants, allowing them to, I think, do more interesting things, hopefully. So like synthesizing results and a lot more analysis rather than kind of just what people think maybe <laughs> accountants do, <laughs> like the, the kind of boring number crunching type stuff. Yep. Uh, you know, AI will allow for more, uh, you know, interesting work, I guess. Yep. And so on that note, I think we've covered a lot from the 2023 AICPA and SEMA SEC and PCOB current developments conference. Um, there, you know, there's a lot to, a lot to take away, look forward to some of the things that they talked about coming, kind of coming into fruition next year. And then as well as Um, We will plan to be there next year as well, right? Hopefully. So on that note, we've covered a lot from the 2023 AICPA and SEMA SEC and PCAOB Current Developments Conference. You know, there was a lot to take away. I look forward to kind of seeing some of these things come to fruition in this next year. And then hopefully we will be there again next year. We'll be following it all as it unfolds, right, on Accounting Matters. So. All right. So until next time, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Accounting Matters. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series, and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.